When your ideal customer's kids are begging every night to read your book, you've won. At Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids' book authors. We don't do it because it's a super fun thing to do, although it is. We do it because it's highly strategic. Imagine if every night your customers are being asked by their kids to read a book that your company made. Talk about brand affinity. You're helping your customers connect deeply with the most important thing in their lives, their kids, over something that they are passionate about that has to do with your industry. If you want to have a conversation with us about how your brand could become the author of a kid's book, just hit us up, dinosaurhouse.com. Hit the little button that says schedule a story design call. And we'll have a jam session together on just what your company's kids book could and should be. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. What's going on? I host the Side Hustle Show for aspiring and part-time entrepreneurs. And you are listening to The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. What's up, purpose-driven entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Nick Loper. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on my show. You bet, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. There's a bunch of stuff that I would love to pick your brain about and just kind of dig in to. Um, first off, though, if you could give our listeners some context. For people that know you, um, they probably don't need any context. I was just doing a little bit of research on you, and there's so many interesting things like your Amazon just on Amazon, looking up books, you've written like a billion books. Um, and then you've got the brand Side Hustle Nation. But if you wouldn't mind giving us some context, what? how does your business uh, work? Like, what is it that you sell and to who? Um, and what's your growth been like? How does the business work? It's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, the primary, so it's a media business. Um, the primary channels are the Side Hustle Show podcast and the SideHustleNation.com website, uh, which funnels into an email list in both cases. And it's monetized with sponsorships through the podcast and affiliate relationships through um, really through all the channels, blog, podcast, email list as well. Dabbling with YouTube, but those are the primary things. Um, I've been doing this for eight and a half years. So it was definitely not an overnight success, but saw pretty steady growth uh, from the early days, surprisingly um, on the podcast side, at least surprising to me, I thought of myself as a writer uh, first and foremost, but within the first year, um, started to see that the podcast was really gaining a little bit more traction. So doubled down on that. And when I go to events now, people know me much more from, from the podcast than they do from the blog. So it's like, well, you gotta, you know, pay attention to kind of what wants to happen and, uh, and follow that. But yeah, that's, that's the business in a nutshell. Interesting. So you thought of yourself as a writer most when you first started the business, what did you think your business was going to be? And like, what have been some of the big changes over the eight years? Yeah, the so my original thesis was I will be the like side hustle guinea pig, I'm going to go out and uh, yes, I'm going to interview people. I'm going to talk to other people, see like what's working for them and try and like reverse engineer that stuff. Still love geeking out on that. Tons of fun. And then my thought was, I will go out and test all these random different side hustles and report back on what worked, what didn't work. You know, how did this, you know, one experiment pan out? And there was a lot of that in the early days from freelancing to selling random stuff on Amazon and eBay and Fiverr and um, just trying to find a foothold. And that has shifted in more recent years to kind of just playing the role of reporter and saying, 
you know, what is, what's working for other people. There's, and I know that's the mark of a good episode when I hang up being like, I should totally go do that. Like we just recorded an episode on like Facebook marketplace drop shipping. And I'm sure there's more to this, but he made it sound like, you know, this is pretty straightforward, you know, and what do you have to lose? It doesn't cost you anything to put up a listing. So you might as well yeah. test it out. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I should go try this. So I'm trying to carve out some time to, uh, to experiment with that. But that's the, so when um, you first started, you were like interviewing people with side hustles, asking them about them and then trying them in, in some cases. And so, you, and, and I still today, like I pick up a ton of, you know, selfish tips and, and tactics from my guests and yeah. say like, because uh, I just get to be curious and say, well, wait a minute, how did that work? How do you get in traffic for that? Like, where, yeah. where do the customers come from? What's your, what's your cost per acquisition? And like, well, that's super cool. Like, how does that referral program work? Or like all that kind of stuff, which I just love learning how other people have it set up and, and how I might be able to apply some of that to my own business. And then for the benefit of the listeners as well. Yeah. I used to think that a strategic mind was the most valuable thing for an entrepreneur, like the most valuable um, internal asset of an entrepreneur. I now believe wholeheartedly that it's curiosity because curiosity, I think curiosity eats strategic brain because <laughs> you are basically siphoning off the strategic minds of everybody that you meet. Also, curiosity just helps you build relationships, which is one of the most significant components of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And this, it was beneficial to me because it's like, I don't know if you put a mic in front of my face and ask me to monologue for 30 minutes, it's just going to clam up and be like, I, I don't know, but yeah. it's like, I can ask questions of other people and say, well, wait a minute, how did that work? Um, but yeah, I like that. Curiosity is a, uh, is a very important skill. My top pick, you know, has shifted over the last 10 years. You know, if you asked me 10 years ago, what's the you know, most important skill for entrepreneurs? I was in the sales camp, like it's got to be sales, you know, nothing happens until you sell something, you know, five years ago that shifted to, you know, maybe it's creativity, you know, you got to create something before you even have anything to sell, right? You know, it's constant, um, you know, it's a, it's a very creative act entrepreneurship is. And then lately I've shifted to like this, this meta skill of learning new skills, because like in any stage in your business, you kind of naturally bump up against the next ceiling, the next barrier, the next hurdle, and it's your job as the business owner to figure it out. And it's kind of like this, you know, it's always going to be a new challenge coming up. So, but I like this uh, curiosity play as well. Over the years, what have been some of the most successful things that you have done that you learned from someone else? Oh my gosh. Uh, paying attention to what is working for other people took me an embarrassingly long period of time to, to take on. It's just like, I'm heads down. I'm like, I'm doing my own thing and just was blind to the outside world in a lot of ways, even though I was, you know, I was a consumer of entrepreneurial content, but it just, for whatever reason, um, didn't click. Uh, a couple of examples of that were um, with the podcast, uh, specifically was, you know, treating it as content marketing and not a business in itself. I mean, kind of like your children's books, like it's, it's gotta be top of the funnel. It's not, you know, unless you have a huge listenership and granted, um, you know, where the podcast was at that time, it was like the math on sponsorship was not going to pencil out in any sort of like meaningful, you know, uh, job killing yeah. level of income. Um, and today, today it is, but it's like, you know, it's took, taken a long time to get there because podcast sponsor, you know, making money on a podcast in most cases is uh, amplitude and frequency. How, how many people can you reach and how often 
can you reach them? And then, you know, so you start to see like, oh, a popular show that comes out daily, sure, they're going to make great money on, uh, on, on ads. But if you have a medium popular show or a pretty small show that comes out once a week, it's like, ah, it's going to take a big, uh, it's, it's maybe not going to be the biggest What's thing. So the most, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to, I'm really curious to ask you, what is the most, what, what is something that you have learned about how to build a popular show? Like, what does it take to make a really popular podcast? I think the, the way most podcasts spread is through word of mouth. And so in that case, it's got to be something that is too good not to share. And I don't, you know, I, I don't think I hit that every week, but I think for a percentage of the audience and for a percentage of the episodes, like that's got to happen where you, you know, you get home from your dog walk or you get home from the car ride or the gym, wherever you were listening to this thing. And you just have to text three or four friends about it. Like that's the mark of a winning episode. Hey, you got to go check this out. And that has happened for me. Like I will tell anyone who will listen about how good uh, a storyteller Dan Carlin is from hardcore history. It's like, I, nobody in my life has like 16 hours to dedicate to the history of world war II in the Pacific, but I'm like, it's so good. You got to go check it out. Um, yeah. So I like, do you, you, know, do you have a, any framework that you follow or any, um, I don't know, rules of thumb or things that you try to do with each episode to, to make it too good not to share? Uh, the way I kind of think about it is in terms of climbing the listener pyramid. So if you Im imagine a pyramid with four layers or four levels, you know, the bottom level, unfortunately, the biggest level is like strangers, people who have never listened to your show. They don't know you exist. Right. So that's like the first conquest that you have to make. The next step is listeners. Hey, you got somebody to tune in Then you have subscribers and then you have fans. The fans at the top of the pyramid are the people who are spreading your message, who you know buy everything you put out. They're kind of like your evangelists. And, and so everything that you do is kind of designed to ascend someone on that ladder. And so from strangers to listeners, like this is the biggest hurdle. And so there's still, uh, it's gotten a little bit easier, but it's still such a pain in the neck to get a podcast onto your device, like from discovering it, from somebody telling you about it, whether through your own searching or through word of mouth, it's like, okay, I got to remember what it's called. I got to search for my podcast app. I got to search for the show in my app. I got to find the specific episode I want. I got to download this thing. There's a huge, um, there's a lot of friction there. And so that title, that hook of the episode needs to be so compelling that it's like people are willing to deal with that friction, willing to go through mm. it. And so one of the early episodes that I put out was like how this one guy made enough money on Fiverr to buy a house in his first year. And this was back when Fiverr was still very much like the $5 marketplace. I was like, dude, how, how did this work? And he's like, oh, Nick, you know, it's all about the upsells. And he kind of broke it down. But it was, that was the hook for the episode because it's like, well, this is a really compelling story. I want to learn how this worked. And even though the numbers were small at that point, it kind of was designed to get people like strike that curiosity a little bit. Yeah. And so you see that in a lot of the side hustle show episode titles where it's like sometimes borderline clickbaity, but it's got, almost got to be to get through that friction. Yeah, that's good. When I interrupted you to ask about how to make a popular show, you were talking <laughs> about treating your podcast as a business uh, within like of itself. Um, so how I, I'm curious, because I asked you before we hit record what the main major driver of revenue is for you. And you said it's sponsorships and affiliates. Um, I'm curious, just right off the bat, like, how does that work? Like, how, how do you, how do you make money that way? And how did you figure out how to start making money that way? Yeah. The shift for me was in treating the show like content marketing. And it, it took, you know, 
a little over a year to kind of figure that out. So I'm like 14 months in, 60 something episodes in at this point. And um, what I did was start to create episode specific lead magnets. And in my case, in those early days, it was just a, uh, a highlight reel from the episode. It's kind of like, here's, you know, here's the sports center edition of the episode. You're out at the gym, you know, you're walking the dog, you're driving in the car, you're not in a good place to take notes. Don't worry. We did it for you. If you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash, you know, whatever the episode was, you'll be able to download that for free. And so that was a huge inflection point for the show. Cause it was like, you know, probably a thousand email subscribers at that time. Uh, within three months of implementing this, it was 3000 within six months, it was 6,000 within 12 months, it was 12,000. It was, you know, it was just off to the races from there. Yeah, and I was you know, kind of worried about like, well, is this going to cannibalize listenership? If there's an option just to get the text version, wouldn't everybody just go for that? But what no. I found was having <laughs> the, you know, having the audio, uh, having now having the ability to communicate with an audience that was previously totally anonymous um, now you're able to get into their inbox, share your latest episode, have them something that they can easily like forward to a friend, um, click on a link. I think that was really, that was really powerful. Um, man, that's really good. What do you typically do with their, uh, emails once you've got them? Like what's your, what's your plan with email? So I'm definitely not the world's best email marketer. I've got a kind of very basic welcome sequence, like, Hey, this is side hustle nation. This is why I think you'll like it here. Here's what you can expect. Here's some quick win side hustles that you can start today. If you're looking for ideas. Now I've got a handful of different welcome series based on what somebody opted in for. Like if you opted in for something related to blogging or online business, your welcome sequence is going to be tailored to that. Like, Hey, do you have a website set up? Yes or no. If you don't, here's my free guide on how to do that. Um, you know, hosting affiliate link, right? Um, if you signed up for something related to investing or real estate or, you know, e-commerce, right? You're going to go down a separate path um, based on, based on, you know, kind of what you have raised your hand and shown some interest in. Do you still do um, like lead magnets of your episodes? Is it something you only do once in a while or do you do this with like every episode? So I started to see some diminishing returns with the highlight reel tactic. And so what I've started to do instead is trying to come up with some sort of complementary uh, access. So still creating those highlight reels, but just publishing them on the site in like blog post format, right? So if people want to consume, you know, written content, they can, if somebody wants to consume audio, they can do it that way, but trying to come up with some sort of complimentary resource that would be, that would be interesting. That would be compelling. So we did an episode with a high school teacher in New York who was renting out portable hot tubs as his side hustles. Like, this is the coolest thing. I had no idea this was a thing. And so the lead magnet that we put together for that episode was, well, you know, this is a pretty unique idea. You know, here are 25 other, you know, random things or unconventional things that you can rent out for a profit, like, you know, mobile homes or baby equipment, or uh, I don't know, I forget what even is on this list, but it's just a bunch of random stuff outside of like traditional rental real estate, which is what I was trained to think of as, as a rental business. How much work do you typically put into an episode from like a episode planning perspective? You know, pre-episode, you know, it depends, but all in I probably have three, four, maybe five hours into certain episodes. Um, a lot of that is in the upfront planning. Like, you know, every episode starts with, okay, what's the hook? What's the, you know, what's the big picture train transformation that somebody's going to get in exchange for their 30, 40, 50 minutes of listening to this. And 
that's kind of how I tend to structure the episodes. Like, here's the story that I want to tell, or here's the topic that I want to cover. And I go find somebody, you know, usually from the community at this point who might be a fit to tell that story. So like, obviously a hot topic this year is NFTs and crypto related stuff, web three stuff. So I was like, okay, who do I know that is, you know, doing interesting things in the NFT space? And so I was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing an episode like talking about how you buy these things? How you not, how do you not get scammed? Like, is this just a massive bubble? Like who, who cares about buying a little JPEG? Um, and so that's kind of how a lot of the episodes start. Does that make sense? Yeah. My, my brain's going wild on like how I could try to take some of the input that you're giving and apply it to this show, Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. Because when I started this show, I mean, my main motivations in starting this show was just relationship building with entrepreneurs. Like I view podcasting mainly as a way of easily building relationships. Um, and so asking people about yeah. like deeply personal, purposeful questions is one of the fast tracks to like building a relationship. Totally. But I think you do, you know, uh, Josh yeah, Elledge at all? Josh Elledge, you know? yeah, yeah. Okay. Because what's his, I mean, his show is like really similar sounding. It's like the yes. thoughtful the, entrepreneur or something. The thoughtful like, entrepreneur, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. But that was um, this whole thing. It's like, I'm going to, you know, kind of send out targeted invites based on who my ideal client is for his PR business or his yeah. you know, influencer agency. I don't think he'd call it, you know, PR specifically. He's yeah. like, I'm going to go invite those people onto a podcast because that stands out from all the other random cold pitches exactly, somebody gets exactly. on email. Like I'm leading with value first. Now I have yeah. this conversation, which like, this is the first half an hour of any sales conversation. Anyways, it's like the getting uh -huh. to know you type of questions. And it's How like, do you feel about that as far as like, cause like, so that strategy, uh, he runs a playbook called content-based networking, which is, uh, oh, okay. it's come up with by James Carberry. That's this book behind me. Okay. Um, and, uh, and the challenge with it is like for a lot of people, it feels like a bait and switch. What's your feeling on that? As long as there's no hard sell, like it is yeah. genuinely like, hey, I have this podcast and I have this service that may yeah. be of value to you. I don't really yeah. have any problem with that. If it's, I don't know, where it gets really shady is like if there is the hard sell at the end. Yep, agreed. Where it's like, um, hey, you know, the, re the real reason I invited you on was so I could pitch you this thing. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. And, and I've gotten pitches like that. Hey, you want to come on my show? Um, sure. But it's, it's kind of like this thinly veiled attempt to, to get me on a call to pitch me on something else. It's like, yes. I don't know, that leaves kind of a dirty, a dirty feeling in my mouth. Yeah, I personally don't pitch. What I do is just make sure that the other person knows what my service is. And all of my sales conversations off of this show have come from the fact that I talked about what my service does and the other person goes, you know, let's talk about what it would look like to do a kid's book. And it's like, yeah. so my sales conversations are guest prompted. That's the only way that I've figured out how to make this not feel like a bait and switch. Cause I'm doing the exact same thing. Like my ideal customers are purpose-driven entrepreneurs with businesses that work. Yeah. <laughs> like those are the people that want to be the industry leader, kid's book author of their industry. And it's so, such a unique, yeah. I mean, that's, what's cool about it too. It's not like, you know, a, you know, jack of all trades, digital marketing agency type of business. It's like, no, I help, you know, you turn your ideas into kids books. It's like, well, yeah, nobody has ever, you know, run that by me before. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so Nick, I started this podcast purpose of an entrepreneur with the idea that I'm going to ask entrepreneurs of businesses that are awesome 
like what it is they're really living their life for. So when you think of the question of like, what do I want to be remembered for when I die? Or what am I really living my life for? What jumps out to you as most important? I mean, that's one of the reasons that Side Hustle Nation started in the beginning was kind of this soul searching moment of, well, you know, what do you want people to find when they Google you? You know, what do you want to be known for? Mm. What do you never get tired about talking about? Mm. What do people already ask you for help with? And this, you know, topic of uh, side hustles and, you know, online business was something that came up over and over again. I still like, you know, even on my personal blog back in the day, you know, people would send me these random businesses they would find like um, international star registry or something like this. It's like, they're not registering you a star. Like there's billions in the sky. You get free inventory. They send you a certificate for 40 bucks and say, yep, that one's yours. You're like, you know, these random, like cool businesses that like have zero startup cost kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. It's like, well, you know, how does this work? I love deconstructing that stuff. Um, and, and that hasn't gotten old. So that's kind of like the legacy for me is like helping other people find this path outside of corporate America, outside of the rat race. That was my, you know, original like MO. It's like, how do I not have to work for somebody else? Like, how do I be in control of my own calendar? And my original business was like a footwear comparison shopping site back in the day. Like this is like, interesting, you know, mid late 2000s. And it's, you know, that business had a great run, uh, but this is a lot more fun to work on. Cause it's like, well, do you really want to be? And I thought naively, like I could just be the dude who sells shoes on the internet. Um, but like a, like a lot of things, I was really grateful to have started something on the side just for diversification, just for, you know, what do you get excited about talking about putting out into the world? Um, and that's been, yeah. it's been a really fun journey since then. Why, why does that matter to you so much that it's like what you wanted to hang your life on? It's just, you see so many people and, and I was kind of this way, like post-graduation, um, you know, as I was trying to get this side hustle off the ground, like staring down the barrel of another 30 years of cubicle life. You're like, yeah, is I, I did what I was supposed to do. I went to school. I got good grades. I got a job. Is this it? Like, yes. I see a lot of people kind of in that space. It's like, okay, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Entrepreneurship is not easy. It's not for everyone, nope. but it is, it's a way out. And it's a, a way to be in control of your income, in control of your time and have, and have a greater impact. And so that's kind of been the message that I've been trying to share for since, since 2013. Yeah. I have felt that way uh, two significant times in my life. One of them was when I was in college, I was very close to finishing my bachelor's degree and I was all set up to be an English teacher. And I had a very like significant moment of just looking ahead at my life and going, I know what English teachers are. Like, I know what that life is like. Like I've, I've seen it and it's just decades of <laughs> being in classrooms, teaching English. And if you love teaching English, perfect gig for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So no knock on English teachers. And honestly, like if it weren't for English teachers, I wouldn't have ever made it as a kid's book author. (laughs) But, um, but, but the thought of me trapped in that career, oh my goodness. I, it made me drop out of college. I dropped out of college, like just credits away from my bachelor's degree. Yeah. Yeah. My, I, I thought for the longest time, like my parents would never forgive me for that. Um, and then the, the <laughs> second time, yeah, good for <laughs> well, you. I would I would have been the guy to be like, ah, oh, you know, you're so close. Just finish it out. But, but good yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, the second time it happened, um, I had just closed. I was a real, so I became a realtor only because I was trying to buy a house and I realized the way that Florida works. Like if I got a real estate license, I could be my own representative on the purchase of my house and then just apply my 3% uh, commission to my required three and a half percent down payment. And now okay. I only have to make a half a percent down payment. Um, life life and, hacks. That's nice. Yeah. 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 So I was like, okay. So I spent, you know, however many months, it was like four months or whatever, and $300 to get a real estate license and then represented myself okay. on the real estate deal. And sure enough, like it, it like it worked. But then now I was a realtor and like I had friends that were trying to buy houses and I was like just helping my friends buy houses and I got decently good at it. And I, um, I at one point made a $13,000 commission and I, 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 it was awesome. Like we put it in the bank and that was really, yeah. really cool. And that was the moment when I decided I wanted to let my real estate license expire because I was like, if I continue down this, I will never leave it. Uh, and oh, I, and I like hate, you get, I get hate this work. Okay. I hate being a realtor. <laughs> and, I will, and I will struggle to let go of the money. And this is like, like it, honestly, like it sounds stupid when I say it. But I, I, I had to. I had to purposefully let my real estate license expire so that I would not be, so that I just would have thoroughly abandoned that career because otherwise the money would have been too good it's like the golden handcuffs it's so much harder yeah. and i deal with people in the same boat like i i was making around 50 grand a year when i quit my job to go all in on the shoe business but some people are like well i'm making 200 250 you know sometimes and it's like yeah that's that's the golden handcuff you know it's so much harder to walk away from so much harder to build a side income because you likely you have had lifestyle creep up to you know the level of yeah. your income and now it's like oh you know, that's a pretty, pretty sizable side hustle operation before you can uh, call it quits there. hundred yeah, percent. Nick, this has been a fun conversation. I have two for fun questions I want to ask you. Uh, the first one is I'm a kid's book author. And I believe that part of leaving a legacy is making a kid's book. If you could, what would your kid's book be about? And mommy, where do business ideas come from? Mm. What would the, what would the, like the synopsis of that book be? It just all the different ways that you find ideas all around you. I don't really know. I don't, I don't have this fleshed out or anyways, but that's been a title that I've had in my mind for a long time. That's awesome. I've been kicking around. Like I have an ABC book, like for entrepreneurs, like, you know, some of the, uh, some of the letters like kind of mapped out on a notes app on my phone. Like it's definitely something that I've been kicking around um, yeah. because, you know, my kids are five and three. We're reading books all the time. And yeah, some of them I need are- to get you a copy of, um, I wrote a book called Lucas, the Dinosaur Entrepreneur. Okay. It's a series designed to teach entrepreneurship to kids. And oh, the awesome. first book in the series is called, What Does Monetize Mean? And it's literally okay. like, what does it mean to monetize something? All right. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to check it out. We read, um, a friend, uh, Scott Allen Turner has a book called like M is for Money. And it's like this ABC book about personal finance and stuff. So that's one that we, you know, is, is still in the rotation. But yeah, I mean, there's some, if, if you can get one that they like and gets on, you know, repeat, yeah. then- it's got a, it's got a place in your heart forever. Yeah. Uh, my last for fun question for you, Nick, is what is something that you currently suck at that a year from now you want to be great at? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
probably YouTube stuff. I have, uh, I'm excited by YouTube and I've said this for probably the last two or three years, I'm making like 500 bucks a month from YouTube ads. And it feels like my favorite, <laughs> like that's my favorite $500. Like out of all the income streams, it's like, yeah. it feels totally passive for whatever, like, never mind the hours it took to produce this video. Okay. It just feels like, you know, for free internet money, it's because it's like, and sometimes videos that I put up four or five years ago are still making money. And it's just like, wow, you know, from this one, I was just looking last night, this one random video, which isn't even a video. It was just like from, you know, audio from the podcast and like this weird placeholder image. It was like 3,800 bucks or something. So it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I love the power of YouTube as a search engine, as this like viral discovery channel. There's a lot of cool things going on. It's probably really difficult to become a full-time YouTuber and that's a long road, but uh, as a side hustle, I think it's a really interesting place to play. What are you currently doing on YouTube and in what way do you feel like you suck that you're trying to get good at? <laughs> so, so many of the videos are like, like I talked about, like roll the tape from the podcast, placeholder image. And so like starting to doing a little bit more of that for that reason, like, Hey, you never know where your next big fan is going to discover you. Like, you know, even a handful of incremental listens is awesome for the time that it takes to produce that. Um, I'm doing shorter form interviews over there, um, you know, on topics that maybe wouldn't be a great fit for like a full podcast episode. Like we talked to my friend about, you know, her uh, side hustle in donating plasma, talked to somebody else who was like doing um, audio transcription, like kind of shorter form, somebody who was doing pressure washing as a side hustle. Like I love that stuff, um, you know, kind of 10, 15 minute video formats. And then also turning a lot of the archived blog content into YouTube videos for the sake of. Um, you know, now giving yourself a double chance to rank um, in terms of like keyword search and also just, you know, another monetization angle, another point of discovery. You know, some people prefer to search on Google. Some people prefer to search on YouTube. And if you can kind of tackle both, um, both sites or both channels, that's a, uh, that's a good place to be. That's awesome. Uh, Nick, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. Where are you most active on social and where would you want people to connect with you? Uh, most active is the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group, which is sidehustlenation.com slash FB. We'll redirect you over there. It's um, you know been going strong since 2015, probably 45,000 members or so in there. So jump on in. Uh, the water is warm. Yeah, cool. Nick, thank you so much for being on. You bet. 